0: Hello and welcome to Borked, the podcast for Geeks by Geeks. I'm your host, David Eagle. I have with me my co-host, Rev. We do not have our co-host, Jay. He is in Alaska, which is why the title of this podcast, episode three, is The Last Frontier. We've got a lot to talk about, so we're going to jump right in with Geekly News of the Weekly. And we're probably going to change that name. It's definitely a work in progress. This is a segment wherein each of the contributors to the Borked podcast brings one possibly more than one news item that they want to talk about, and the rest of us kind of roundtable that news item and discuss it. Hopefully we'll cover something that's interesting to you. Maybe we'll cover something you don't know about, and it'll be news to you. So, Rev, what do you have on your plate for the week? What's interesting
1: to you? Well, two of the most interesting um, video game companies. ZeniMax, who owns uh, Bethesda, and pretty much Bethesda is their bread and butter, um, they bought the studio uh ID. Uh that's where John Carmack works. Uh John Romero is one of the founders, the infamous John Romero. Um they made Doom and Quake, etc. etc. Well, um they're now owned by Zenimax. and whenever you see two iconic kind of parties come together, you know, kind of expect something big. But I, I don't know. I mean, do, should we really expect something big other than – because like reading the interviews and blog posts of the people who work in either company, they're just like, well, we just thought it was a good investment. But <laughs> at the same time, like as – it's like you got to think of it like in movie CEOs. Well, what if like Pixar – like Pixar, um, I think they're owned by Disney. Are they owned by Disney? I don't know. They're basically in bed with Disney if they're Yeah, out. they are.
0: They're, they're owned by Disney. You're thinking right. of uh, DreamWorks SKG, that's not Dreamworks. owned by Disney.
1: Yeah, well, they might be owned by Paramount or something. Well, like think of a studio like that 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 has been independent thus far, um, for the most part, being actually purchased by a major publishing company. You know, you kind of that like you actually have like Disney, where they actually have a name for themselves. Well, now I have a question about ID Software. Did they make the new Wolfenstein 3D? Um, uh,
0: Return to Castle Wolfenstein, was that ID or was that someone else?
1: No, I'll double check, but the most or the most recent one that was released, like in 04 or 03, right. that is not by um, ID. I think it's Ravensoft.
0: Yes, it is Ravensoft. So, you know, ID hasn't made a game that I have cared about since Quake 2. And I only cared about that because Nine Inch Nails did the music.
1: Well, Doom 4 was good.
0: Mm, I mean 3 I didn't play it so I don't know but I do see in the, uh, on the website here that ID Software made Commander Keen and our, our <laughs> listeners are probably really really sick of me talking about like nostalgia games because I've done that in every single one of our episodes so far that's 2 but Commander Keen was an amazing game and I'm just saying if you I, have the opportunity
1: I'm just glad that in Doom you could go kill Commander Keen
0: well, Did hey, shut up, first of all. <laughs> and secondly, this came out when I was in, like, fourth grade, I think. This was 1990, and um, my wife was in high school. And it's an amazing game, and it came out when I had a teacher named Mrs. Keane. So what more do you need in life, really?
1: I think you had a crush on Mrs. Keane.
0: I didn't. Um, I don't even know if she was my teacher. She might have been my friend uh, Dustin's teacher. So I have a question, though. Zenimax is. I know Bethesda is a studio. They make. They have the developers and the artists that actually make the games, right?
1: Zenimax is a like.
0: Are they a holding company?
1: They're more of a publisher, but like Bethesda is very much their bread and butter. They're like. I I don't I don't completely know. I mean, because I don't really know anyone that works there, but. Uh, as far as I know, Bethesda pretty much is uh, very much Zenimax. If that, may- I don't know how to explain that. It's like, it's like um, the little tiny production company that makes all the Disney cartoon movies and Disney itself. They're almost like it seems like they're almost like two different divisions
0: right. of but one they, they company. Might as well be the same thing. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well. Um... That's interesting. I don't know. Yeah, I think you're kind of... You have a good point. We look at something like that and we think, alright, maybe something cool will come of it, but we really don't know. And I'm going to stand by, I'm going to stick to my guns and say that ID hasn't done anything I cared about since Quake 2. And there was... They did make that... What was that game called? It was like Runeblade or something?
1: Is that real? They haven't actually produced any other games other than Quake and Doom... Um, they basically, for the last, like, what, eight, ten, twelve, I don't even know. Other than Doom 3, uh, for the most part, they've just been building their engines, and then they'll make, like, one game off that engine and sell it, sell the engine to other computer game companies. Okay. Like, they have, and Slotted, they're, they're, they're making, uh, Doom 4, And then uh, this game called Rage. Sounds angry. Yeah.
0: All right, well, could be interesting. Bethesda, you know, we love Bethesda, and anything they touch turns to gold. So hopefully they will do something good with this new merger.
1: It seems like they'll, to me, it seems like they'll be like, all right, you guys made some sweet games, and then you got really lazy. Right. So, how about we make some sweet games and stop being lazy?
0: Yeah, it was like ID. ID was the was the studio to watch. And, you know, they had Romero, like you said. And then, out of nowhere, um, Half-Life appeared.
1: Yeah, well... And that was it. That and Romero turned out to be like a stinking pile of crap.
0: A, one, a one-hit wonder. Yeah. Of epic
1: proportions. I don't even remember his stupid game that I took like it was, 20 years it to make. I think it was called
0: Quake. Oh, Daikatana no, was the one Dicatana, that took like 20
1: years to make. John Romero makes you his bitch. <laughs> I, remember, <laughs> I remember seeing that in an ad when I was like 10, 12, I don't even know, 12, whenever oh, just, it came up,
0: I just found a Gamerankings.com, which is not a site that I endorse. I've never seen it before now, but maybe it's good, who knows. But Gamerankings.com, it looks like it's an aggregator of scores. And it gives Daikatana a 52.98%, which is not a lot of percents. That's like an F.
1: No, it was like the worst game forever.
0: Gaming Age, which is clearly a magazine of no repute, Uh, (laughs) a webzine, as it were, gives it a D+. Incidentally, the grade that Tommy Boy got to graduate in the most excellent Chris Farley movie of all time, entitled Tommy Boy.
1: That is a useless fact.
0: So, moving right along, <laughs> did you want to talk about any of the other news items that you posted up here? I definitely want to talk about Steve Jobs. Um, there's this only homeless... who isn't
1: talking about Steve Jobs.
0: Okay, well let's let's go down the list.
1: That's my only.
0: I don't know enough about the John Hodgman thing to actually contribute anything valuable to that.
1: Well, it's kind of just cool. I think everyone should go watch the movie or the video. It's um, I just wanted to make it known to our listenership vast listener base all uh, nine of you all nine maybe 18 <laughs> maybe 100 who knows
0: a friend of a friend of mine said on twitter she tweeted at me and she said can i tell you that you're doing an awesome job on the podcast without actually listening to it <laughs> and i was like yeah i'll accept that that's fine
1: So, anyway, so john, hodgman, john hodgman who is uh PC on the Apple commercials, Mm. and um, he writes, uh, he's a comedian, and he writes books, and he goes on shows and taps his books. Well, uh, apparently he's a huge geek, which, I mean, obviously, come on, seriously. It's obviously, like, part of his being that he is a geek. Anyways, he... uh, was invited to speak at a uh pr- like a press presser dinner like a dinner for the press that obama works with um kind of and uh he quizzed the president on a bunch of geek things because it's been rumored that obama is uh kind of into comic books and whatnot and it, it's just really it's a it's a very uh, fun video for any geek, whether you're Democrat or Republican or uh, crazy, not any of those socialist. It's just fun <laughs> if you're a geek. Green you Party. should watch it. It'll be in the in, in the in the notes. Um, I at first did not want to watch it because, uh, and this is kind of a note because I'm kind of upset at Obama for. He's put a bunch of recording industry of America lawyers into his uh, repertoire of people. Yeah, no one likes uses. that. Yeah. No one likes
0: those guys. They're, they're worse than normal lawyers.
1: They they really, really are. We just lost so. a listener.
0: I'm sure one of our listeners is a lawyer. I'm sure that's like a ten percent hit on our listener base.
1: That's depressing. <laughs> All right. So next. Homeless Sims. You don't.
0: So there's just blogs. Right, and I was telling you, there's this blog, alisonkev.wordpress.com, and I guess what they do is they they narrate a story with their Sims characters, is that true?
1: They no, they just play they're just playing Sims. Oh, I thought I saw writing. Well, they document what they do in the game. The idea is is that they took these two Sims, and uh, they they created them. And then they took away all their money and um, possessions and sent them to a park and basically made our own personal kind of achievement, like an Xbox Live achievement, of keeping these Sims alive uh, on whatever they could find in public places.
0: Interesting. Now, did they create the park or is it, as you know, I don't play the Sims. Is it, are there pre existing public spaces like parks and stuff
1: in Sims three or in Sims two and three, but three specifically gets a little bit more in depth in the public spaces kind of thing. And, um, so they can go up to people and talk to them and, and like panhandle kind. I, I don't know if it goes that far. So it's an interesting kind of social experiment to me. Um,
0: Is it at all related to the current state of the economy, the housing market? Do they have a backstory? (laughs) Do they RP at all? What's going on? I doubt it. (laughs) Are there... Look, I just want to know. Are
1: there dice? No. Is there ad die? No. The interesting thing is that the the Sims, in Sims 3, they made it so that their their personas uh, were affected by the bad things and good things that happened in their life. So, for example... um, after being homeless for such an amount of time, the father figure became somewhat insane. Whoa. And, uh, like, in this, like, second post, he starts, there's they're saying that he started calling people llamas and actually mm-hmm. apologizing by giving them a kiss. And they just do this <laughs> automatically. Wow. So uh, it's kind of interesting. I don't, I mean, it begs to the question on whether or not the developers wrote this kind of behavior in, or if it's just kind of a almost bug or like a, an offshoot of the AI um, that is just big enough that it can handle this kind of manipulation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Wow. Well, that, that's interesting. I was telling you before we started recording that I went to the site and I looked at alisonkev.wordpress.com, which is where this is. I looked at the site uh, a couple weeks ago and I checked it out. And my brain just shut down. I don't know. I didn't, it didn't work. There are a couple things. I think there's this like code that people can embed into websites or into a block of text or whatever that activates something inside my brain that just makes it stop processing information for a certain period of time. And you've probably experienced this where you're reading a book and you get you like turn the page and then you realize that you have no idea what the last two pages said at all. That's, that is the <laughs> effect that the website had on me. Um, so I didn't get that, that far into it. I didn't really know. You know, all that stuff. So that that is interesting. The the questions about the AI and stuff, definitely very interesting. All of our listeners should go check it out, give it a look. And now we're going to talk about the thing that I really want to talk about. Hopefully it will be as interesting as Crazy Sims. And that is Bing, Microsoft's new, uh, Microsoft's new browser. Did you see that Google, what is a browser <laughs> video, by the way? No. Oh, it's priceless. We'll put it in the show notes. It is a video about... They go to Times Square and they interview a bunch of people, and they're asking them, "What what is a browser?" And the answers are amazing. The people are like, "Well, it's where I search for things." <laughs> uh, so Bing. We need Bing. to talk about Bing. Bing is Microsoft's new search engine, right? Well, it's all live. Yes. I thought
1: Live was their new search engine. Well, what's I going mean, on? They've Didn't been they just having debut this. It seems like that's all they – it's like Google's so great, so we have to reinvent ourselves because obviously we're doing something wrong.
0: Which is true. They are clearly doing something wrong because their searches suck.
1: Every, uh, what, like four-ish years it seems like they've decided – or three or four years they decided to reinvent themselves. And first it was live.com and like everything started moving to live. Right. And now it's Bing and everything started moving to Bing. And I will.
0: I do have to say, you know, I applaud when they went from kind of Hotmail, which they they purchased from a company called Hotmail. Um, Microsoft purchased that back in 1998 or 99. Um, they had a Hotmail, and they branded everything for Hotmail. Then they switched to MSN in probably 2001, 2002, and they went they went full bore. You know, they they switched everything to MSN. They made a big a big push for that. And if if you remember, and I remember because my wife had an MSN account for like seven years msn.com was the paid domain and you got better mail hosting and hotmail.com would still be the the free mail but you could log in through msn.com or whatever so then it feels like a year ago maybe max they started beta testing live.com and transitioning all the hotmail accounts over to live.com and now we have bing and i don't know if they're gonna do the same thing with the mail accounts but they are definitely just like you said Every couple of years, it seems like, completely changing the face of what it is they're doing. I don't know if it is just one department of guys that are desperately trying to hold on to their jobs. You know, all they know is, like, writing search engines, and they're trying to hold on to their jobs. Or if they fire that department as soon as the product is released, and then they hire a whole new group of guys, and they're like, oh, we can't work with this. we got to write a new thing. Like, w-
1: what's going on? Who knows, really? But I, I kind of feel that they're, they've done a pretty good job. With, uh, with the the me. thing, so I don't I don't blame them for wanting to kind of bring everything under one umbrella. I've used it a little bit. I know uh, I have one friend that did like the week test where he is kind of like we're all kind of ingrained in Google Google now with the various things that it does for us. But uh, he did he was like all right I'll switch to Google for a whole week. All right, uh, to Bing for a whole week and see how it goes. And um, he basically came up with the conclusion that as much as it's really nice, there are certain things about Google that he can't live without. And the first thing that I brought up to him was, well, what about your search history? Because um, I don't know if you use it, but all, as long as you're logged in, Google saves everything you've searched on, and you can go back and uh, look at everything that you searched on.
0: You can actually Google search your own search history, which is awesome.
1: Yeah, and I use it like I was telling you, Momol. It's it's kind of a killer feature because when I need it, I really need it, and uh, there's just things that I've kind of quote unquote lost on the net because I haven't put it in my Delicious or or whatnot. And so, having that about once a year, I'll have to jump in there. I actually just used it twice uh, this weekend on, on a couple of things that I'm working on. So, not being able to move that to Bing and just all the stuff that I use with Google. So they've
0: kind of got you by the.
1: Some. Yeah.
0: <laughs> all right. So there's a phrase that I like to use and. It's one of those phrases where I'm the only person that knows what it means. And even I don't really know what it means, but I'm trying to get it into general usage. It is from, I stole it from the movie, Jerry Maguire. And the Cuba Gooding Jr. character is a football player. And he's talking to Jerry Maguire and he's like, he says that he wants the Quan. And he describes Quan not just as money like coin, but as like the the love and the respect. So I thought it was a cool word. And that I would jack it and use it for a completely different purpose. So for me, the quan is the sustainable vision of a product. For instance, the quan of Twitter is being able to update all of your friends in a broadcast manner with little funny messages about what's going on in your life. That is the, that is the reason that it exists. And you can't see this, but I'm making hand motions, kind of like <laughs> milking, milking a cow. That is the reason. What, what's the quan of Bing? Is there like a feeling lucky kind of functionality built in that we that we see in Google where it'll take you to the first page? Is it just, it talks about eliminating the clutter from search in all of the commercials that I've seen. How does it, how does it execute that?
1: Well, I think one, one of the first things is that they kind of, um, I think they do a little bit better job at telling you everything that they can do. Like having that travel thing there, um, I think is really good for, For them in terms of if someone's looking for travel, they could just use Bing, you know, and And I I did a test. Oh, I could search for travel sites.
0: I did a side by side comparison between Bing and kayak.com and we're going to talk about that next, but I did a side by side comparison and they found the exact same fares. So,
1: yeah. So, I mean, and, and honestly, if you look at this, the site itself, they're actually very similar, but a lot of search engines are very similar. But the difference with Bing is that it looks a little bit nicer. It um, and it works a little bit nicer. I mean, they, they're using, every once in a while, they'll use Silverlight, silver which is like Flash. Like, specifically, searching for videos and photos is definitely a much better experience. Whether or not I would go to Bing specifically, just to watch videos, I, I just don't know.
0: Right, okay, well you're, now let's, we're gonna take a little side sidebar here. You're a developer, and I am a layman. Silverlight is a Microsoft initiative. It is their own, I'm not gonna say it's their own version of Flash, but it does share a lot of the functionality that Flash does.
1: Why? Would they it's, do that to me. It's really, 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 really simple, and I'm actually glad I haven't delved into Silverlight at all, just because I haven't needed it. But um, Flash is like action script. N- Terrible. Flash. It's not not the programming. Like I could care less what language it is in, because I use so many different languages. The Flash itself, the actual the program flash the ide and its quirks are like the most infuriating things in programming <laughs> like i kid i kid you not i built something a good 2 years ago and it would not do what i needed it to do and and there's this thing i'm going to get a little bit technical and try not to be too technical there's this thing called trace and trace puts text into like a little debugger window. So I had this this piece of code that would not do what I needed it to do, and uh, I was doing all these things, and it would work sometimes, and it wouldn't work other times, and it was just this really, really frustrating thing. It boils down to this. It would work if I did a trace. If you don't see the significance in that, let me spell it out. The code that made stuff happen on the screen did not change. The code that I added that made the stuff that's happening on the screen work was a debug message. Right. That would never be shown on someone's screen.
0: But the trace enables you to find the error, right? But,
1: yes, the trace enables... But the error doesn't
0: occur when the trace is running.
1: But there is no error. It just doesn't do what it's supposed to do.
0: Right. Except when the trace is running, it does. Right.
1: It does what it's supposed to do.
0: Well, that's cool. So that is is like the tip
1: of the iceberg almost.
0: Well, as an end user, I have to say Silverlight is frustrating and unnecessary.
1: As a developer, Silverlight is like, if we can get enough people on it, we'll switch to it.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, I think this is just one of those times where, you know, hopefully the better technology will win out. And... Hopefully Microsoft will actually start packaging the better technology with their core product, which is Windows.
1: Antitrust.
0: (laughs) Uh, Whatever. I don't even care about antitrust. Convenience trumps antitrust any day of the week.
1: Unless you're in Europe.
0: Right. Unless you're in Europe. Okay, so back to Bing. The other thing I want to talk about with Bing is the fact that uh, they have totally... Totally, totally. And you pointed this out, and you pointed it out from, I believe, a Dig article. But if you go to Kayak.com, and then you pull up Bing.com and go to the travel section, and you have them side by side, when you first get there, they don't look similar at all, but when you perform a search, the two pages that load could be the exact same website loading up. From the way that each individual result is listed, to the placement of the ads on the right-hand side, to the positioning of the slider functionality to refine your search terms, it is virtually, not just aesthetically, but also, you know, in a layout sense, identical.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a total ripoff.
0: It's kind of crazy. And I don't know how Microsoft QA or slash lawyer QA or whatever it is, and maybe this is just my ignorance of copyright law, is it a violation for Microsoft to create a search results page that looks exactly like the search results page for one of their major competitors? I
1: think it is. Um, it's certainly in poor taste, no matter what. Well, it confuses the brand. I could totally see them winning a case that um, the Kayak, or I mean the the being Travel, is confusing the brand for Kayak because it looks so similar. Here's some proof. When I first went to this, I assumed Kayak had built the site, the travel site for Bing. And I see why you would
0: assume that because that is what it is.
1: So unless Microsoft thinks it just has a bigger, I mean, purse to pull lawyers out of,
0: which is probably true. <laughs> they have a bigger magic lawyer purse. <laughs> All right. Well, Bing, um, we'll see where it goes. I think it's pretty cool what do I know? I mean, it's certainly prettier than any of the other search engines I use, but one of the reasons that I love Google is the fact that it is incredibly simple. And when I say simple, I mean, it's, it's a powerful tool. And if you know how to use it in depth, there's a tremendous amount of granularity that you can add into a search, especially if you start using the API, it just gets ridiculous because you can use regex and stuff. But it's also very clean. You go to the page, you know what it is. I mean, everybody knows Google. You go to the page, there's this one field and a search button, you know, like that's what it is and and I think the fact that Bing is prettier is nice but the thing that I always hated about MSN and that I always hated about Live and that I always hated about Yahoo Search was the fact that you hit the search, You f- first you have to find the search on this major page and then you find it, you type in your search term, you hit search and you're, you're, hit, you're bombarded with like premium result placement and superior result placement, and then the AdWords on the right-hand side. And I don't know. I just could never – I didn't feel that the interfaces were very streamlined.
1: Well, I think that um, Yahoo and Microsoft both want wanted to build, like, a major one-stop-shop portal. And Google was okay with having everything be segmented, modularized.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's a good observation. Because Google
1: has. I mean, they have Google News. It's done a little bit better taste. They have Google News, finance. They have shopping, maps, video, email, but it's all segmented. Like you get through, to it through like this basic drop down and, and header on on each of the specific products. So it's just a different mentality that it's it's both sides of the fence, Google and then Yahoo and Microsoft. And ask.
0: Right. Yeah. That's a good point. And that definitely shows the two different focuses of the businesses where Microsoft is, is more of a, an overall business focus and Google is, I don't know. I, I think Google, I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm also going to use very broad terminology. I think Google is geekier. I'd agree. And by that, I mean, you know, I think they adhere to our core principles more as a company and they're less motivated by the desire to make money. Although Clearly, that is one of their motivations. I think they're less motivated by that than Microsoft is. I think Google's primary motivation from the outset has been the desire to make an exceptional product. Yeah. So, let's move on to
1: Steve Jobs. Stevie Jobs. So, we heard the news, and I mean, people have been speculating for a few weeks, a few months, that he uh, has cancer or... Some other very debilitating disease, and uh, that's why he has <clears throat> taken a leave of absence from Apple. while well, he's coming back, and it was reported that uh, he what replaced his kidney, liver. He
0: replaced it like
1: <laughs> yeah, he took it out.
0: He took it out. A lot of Up new in.
1: Replaced it. Yeah, right. He, I think he, I think he replaced it with a Zune.
0: Yeah, I hear the Apple Store will do that
1: for 150 bucks. 150 bucks, As long as you get an appointment with the genius.
0: Right. Otherwise, forget about it.
1: So uh, he's coming back. Um, and um, I'm not going to say that uh, – I'm not going to base this question off of uh, him being deceased because we've just had enough, enough death uh, <laughs> this week, I think. So let's say uh, Steve Jobs just decides, you know, I'm done. I'm going to take my – billion. And I'm going to leave. I mean, where does that... And my private jet. Does Apple have enough? (laughs) Like, how much of Apple's soul right now is Steve Jobs? I mean, on the outside, I mean, you could ask any person on the street that knew one or two things about Apple and Steve Jobs, and they would likely say that he's a major kind of heart of the company. But, I mean, being at a couple of different companies myself, I can say that the leaders, as much as they are great leaders, um, a lot of what goes on and what comes out is uh, people that are behind the scenes. So
0: Yeah, it's, it's a no-brainer that the Apple turnaround – and we have to remember that before the iPod came out, Apple was not nearly what it is today. Today it's a megalith. It's really respected. It has a very large niche – It did have a niche, but it was a much smaller niche. The product was good, but it wasn't anywhere near on the level that it's at today. The range of offerings, the range of product offerings that the company had was solid, but again, nowhere near on the level. It wasn't as sharp, it wasn't as presentable. The marketing effort just didn't exist. Um, And I think a lot of that, you know, we saw that come back. We saw that all come together when Steve Jobs took the reins of the company again. And I think he probably facilitated all of that. But it would be ridiculous to think that he was solely responsible for all of that.
1: Yeah. My only question is, I mean, I heard or read articles of uh, like the iPhone. They'd bring the iPhone in and show it to Steve Jobs and he would just be like, they'd be all proud of their iPhone that's in beta or gamma or what, alpha, whatever you want to call it. And uh, he would just be like, this is not a serviceable product. And he would just send it back and he'd send it back and send it back and send it back and, it back and cause them to hone it more and more and more, make like the interface, everything would just work better because I think we can both agree that all the phones we have used, smartphone or not, the interfaces are usually just clunky, and working with the or using the iPhone interfaces, it's just so streamlined. They spent so much time on it, and is that because of Steve Jobs? Is OSX, like, the reason why OSX on the Mac and then the iPhone OSX as well, is that so streamlined? Because Steve Jobs just keeps, like, taskmaster? He's a nitpicky guy. Yeah, and is someone else going to do that for the company? So...
0: Right, yeah. Well, that's that's a good question. I I felt that this keynote was the weakest keynote that they've had in a long time.
1: That's a, that's the a thing I'll really miss the most. I really don't feel that like the products will really change that much. They'll just continue to still have excellent products. But um, I I watched the I watched WWDC and uh and they're whatever the the other reason why they get up on stage. Sometimes they just have press conferences at their offices. I watch them because they're entertaining, to be honest. You know, I may not really be interested in my the new features for my Mac operating system. Right. But I'll watch it because Steve Jobs is – he's an entertainer, you know. He has that.
0: He reels uh, you in, and that's yeah. the greatest thing. Like, we, you and I were, were IMing during the WWDC keynote this year – and I think we were even talking about that, like how, Oh, if the new iPhone announcement comes out, they're going to like walk off the stage and then come back, you know, and be like, Oh, by the way, we forgot to tell you new iPhone.
1: Yeah. So I don't know. Well, you, I think you, it will, it will be a significant loss. Yeah. But oh. oh yeah. It's not like we don't have, it's not like we're losing innovation and, uh, excellence.
0: True, true. Well, let's hope. And you you got a new iPhone 3GS, right? You have it. I saw it today.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: And I saw you sent me a video that you made, and the video quality was pretty good. Do you have anything, is it worth even talking about, really? I mean, it, it's an iPhone, and it does video, right?
1: Well, I think the only thing that I find compelling is, uh, and I kind of expected this, but YouTube um, let everybody know that Oh hey, mobile uploads have increased 400% since the 3GS came out, yes. and it's only been out what, like a week so and a half now.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, they shipped on Friday, this past Friday, right?
1: Uh, a little longer Thursday. Than that.
0: Okay. Well, yeah. Not they have not been out for very long. So that's not that's that is kind of surprising. It doesn't. I don't know.
1: I'm not well, shocked. What I feel – no, I'm not, I'm not shocked at all, but what it brings up is um, I have two uh, conventions that I'm going to uh, coming up here, which um, I'm really excited about. One is the Penny Arcade Expo, and the other one is the uh, Blizzard um, – BlizzCon. Yeah. And um, I am trying my best to change my mentality of taking photos of things to taking videos of things because I can – in my opinion, videos are often much more compelling, even if they're like 10, 20 seconds, than just a picture. And being able to take that, and I literally, I, I sat there, I took a video for so many seconds, I cut it, uh, I snipped it, and then I clicked the button, and it sent it to YouTube, and it sent it within like 30 seconds.
0: So we will be, we will be live broadcasting BlizzCon. From Rev's iPhone 3GS. Just so you guys know,
1: it'll be epic.
0: It will epic. be epic. There will be epics. It will be purple. All right. Well, that's cool. I like the uh, I like the 3GS. I still think the name is stupid, and I would love a free one. <laughs> So we're going to move on to the next segment, and we've invented a new segment for you guys this week. That segment is called Recommended Reading. And in this segment, your contributors, that is myself, Rev, occasionally Jay, or whichever guest we happen to have on, uh, we're we're going to recommend a book for you. And I'm not going to lie, the book that we're going to recommend is going to be awesome. So I'm going to jump right in, and I'm going to go first. Since I keep making you go first, it seems only fair. I'm going to throw out one of my favorites of all time. This falls under, I think it's kind of modern fantasy, urban fantasy maybe. It's by Neil Gaiman, who is my favorite author, and the name of the book is Neverwhere, and it's just an excellent read. It's about a guy who lives in London, and as he's doing a very mundane thing, he's going out to dinner with his fiance. he gets sucked into this world that he didn't knew existed, it, and it kind of existed. Below the Streets of London. Very good book. You should pick it up. It's Neil Gaiman. We'll have a link to Amazon. And I'm sure all of you have Kindles, so you can download it, give it a listen. I'm sure
1: every one of them. They're like, oh, I'm going to get that for my Kindle. I'm reading the first six pages now.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm turning off this podcast. I'm going to read Neverwhere. Well, hopefully that's what they did last week when we talked about the first book in the Gunslinger series. Anyway, excellent, excellent book. Go read it. Rev, hit me with your
1: recommendation. My best shot. dun Dunham. Dun, dun. I know you wanted to say it. You had to stop yourself.
0: I wanted to sing it actually, and I stopped myself for the good of mankind.
1: Yeah, I kind of regret singing last week. Anyways, I wrote down two, and I'm only going to say one because I guess we're doing this every week.
0: That's right. Save uh, it up. Don't waste I, it all. I'm
1: saving it. I could like. What's cool about this is I could just recommend all eleven. You could. <laughs> so um, I'm gonna go with uh, Ender's game um, science fiction the the near far the meeting medium, the medium-ish far future I guess it's the uh, it's the opening to a, a much larger canon of books there's a series of four and then there's like seven kind of other novels in the same universe I would I would surmise. Um, But the the main book and storyline is about a boy named Ender. And Ender is uh, just a really smart and excellent uh, at everything um, from diplomacy to math to physical. Yeah. And he gets sent to a uh, kind of military school for yeah. children and um he has uh for <laughs> lack of better words um hijinks and adventures they ensue yes they they certainly do but it's a very serious book to be honest it's not <clears throat> it's uh it's got a really um deep tone and uh the ending is uh it's it's a very deep th- thought-provoking ending of the first book. So, I highly recommend it. It's not very long. Make sure you pick up the cover that doesn't look like it's a 12-year-old reading book for school.
0: Yeah, and Ender's Game is about a kid. It's not necessarily a book for kids. I would say 12 and up for that book, but it is a very well-written
1: piece. It's one of my favorite authors, uh, Orson Scott Card. He has just a wealth of um, stories, series, short stories. Uh, Some of my favorite of his stories are actually short stories. Um, He has two, maybe three uh, short story compilations. So I highly recommend Orson Scott Card. He will be in, uh, I'm guessing, many of my (laughs) weekly recommends um, if you can keep up the uh, two or three books a week. <laughs> we'll have to write all these down in one big spot on the website. Right, your, your yearly recommended reading. Yeah. So, yeah,
0: I, I totally – I can get behind that recommendation. Uh, definitely one of my top authors as well, and hopefully we'll, we'll be hearing a lot more about books from him. In any event, this has been the recommended reading segment of the show. Please go out and pick up those books. And next we're going to we're gonna f- switch over to, we actually have Jay pre-recorded a little review for us. And he's going to try to do this segment called Jay's Review of the Week going forward. This week he talks about the game Demigod. So it's a pre-recorded clip. We're going to play it right now. And we're going to get back and we'll talk more after his clip. So here's Jay who is currently in Alaska. And uh, just so you guys know, he tried to go salmon fishing today. Sorry if you are a PETA member. PETA? Is it PETA? I just think of delicious bread when I say that.
1: You know what? You could be sad, and and I'll be the bad guy and not be sad. Because we have to have both sides of the fence here.
0: Well, I'm sad for salmon. Boo. But, apparently, when he tried to go salmon fishing, some orcas showed up and ate the salmon. So, you can't really be mad at him. It's kind of like the circle of life.
1: Don't sing it. I'm trying
0: so hard not to. (laughs) And In the event, here's Jay.
2: Hey, this is Jay, bringing you Jay's Weekly Review, where yours truly will bring you a review of note, movies, music, games, whatever I feel like. This week's review is of a game, fairly new. I got my mitts on it for a LAN I recently attended. The game is for the PC by a company called Stardock, and it is called Demigod. And my, is it Scrum Tralescent? First, the Rundown. In terms of genre, it's an RTS with strong RPG elements in the vein of the Warcraft 3 mod Defense of the Ancients, or Dota. In this game, you may choose a hero-style character from the eight currently available and set out to achieve your victory objectives. There are several different game styles. Straightforward, base demolition, capture the flag, tower control, and more. There's no base building in this game. You just level your hero and choose your talents, buy your items from your shops with the gold you acquire throughout the match, and conquer. That's the rundown, and as for the marks, uh, for this game I was a bit on the fence at first. I thought it was a bit shallow, but as I played more of the heroes and experienced their strengths and weaknesses, I came to find that this game has serious potential. This isn't the kind of game that I think I could get caught playing for hours on end or even playing every day, but what it is, is a game that I can jump into with a couple buddies a couple times a week for an hour or so and have a total blast. In terms of graphics and visuals, I thought this game was very very nice. The spell effects and combat are really intense. You can watch the action from above in standard RTS faction or get right in there and enjoy the bone crunching goodness. Nice job Stardock. Another point for this game is whatever playstyle you prefer there's a hero for you. Melee, casters, zookeepers, ranged healers, it's all there. A point against this game however is that there's no single player campaign. That might just be a personal thing for me but I see it as a mark against it. This is Strictly a multiplayer-built game, whether against bots or players, there's no story to be spoken of. So out of five stars, I give this game a solid four. It will give you hours of good competitive or cooperative gameplay and knock your socks off with some very good effects and visuals. Until next week, when I review another item, a movie, music, or game, this is Jay signing out. And we're back.
0: So that's been Jay. That's all you're going to hear from him this week, unfortunately. But he'll be back next week with more commentary and hopefully another review of the week. Moving on to World of Warcraft-specific banter, chit-chat, and etc. For this portion of the show, we're going to be talking about WoW. And if you don't play WoW, you probably won't be interested. If you do play WoW, or if you have played WoW, you might be interested to know what changes are coming in the pipeline in Patch 3.2. What nerfs are coming to my class, the Death Knight, and all kinds of interesting stuff that we're going to talk about. So stick around for the next couple minutes, we're going to talk about that. If not, fast forward to the last two seconds of the show, where we're going to give some shout outs. We are going to uh, give our contact information and all that stuff. That's about the last minute. So, here we go. Death Knights uh, are a hero class. They're getting nerfed. And it looks like it's going to be... DPS is getting kind of... not really nerfed. One, one specific spec, the Unholy spec, might get a slight boost. You know, they make changes. You don't necessarily know how the change is going to balance out until you, you see it in action on the PTR, on the public test realms, and on the live realms. So there are a couple of changes like that that, you know, we're just not sure how they're going to work out. One of them is that, I'm not going to go into detail on all of these, but one of them, for instance, is that Unholy Blight, the AoE, portion of it, where it affects all the mobs around you, is being removed, and now if you put one talent point in Unholy Blight, it adds a Damage Overtime component to your Death Coil spell. Death Coil is what Unholy Death Knights use to dump their Runic Power, so Death Coil is definitely heavily used, and having a Damage Overtime component added to that spell is going to be a good thing, and it will probably improve single target DPS. The problem with this is that it seems like Blizzard is moving in a direction of homogenizing all of the DPS trees. Previously, the distinction was that the Unholy Death Knight did a tremendous amount of AoE DPS, the Frost DK did a lot of spell damage, so. If you didn't have a good weapon or whatever, you could go Frost, and you're hitting with Howling Blast, you're hitting with Icy Touch, which are considered spells, and they're going to ignore armor, so you get a benefit there. And the Blood Decay did a lot of white damage, and they had all these abilities that buffed the rest of the raid and all that. So it seems like Blizzard is taking a step towards making all of the damage trees very similar. And the problem that I have with that is, from the standpoint of a purely unique DPS class... There are other classes that have damaged trees that are really different in play. For instance, if you look at the Hunter, the Mastery tree, the Survival tree, and the Marksman tree all play in completely different ways, and I'm sure the Warlock is the same. They all play in completely different ways, and I'm not just talking rotation, I'm talking what kind of pet you use, I'm talking how you itemize, I'm talking all kinds of stuff. And with the Death Knights, it looks like they're moving in a direction where your rotation may be a little different, but your itemization is going to be exactly the same. The damage that you do versus AoE and versus a single target is going to be exactly the same. If you're any of the three specs, you're not going to see a really huge boost in any of those areas. I'm okay with that, but one of the things that really excites me about The Hunter is that I can be survival or beast mastery and experience an entirely different end game rating game, really. So, why is Blizzard doing this? I don't know. Did you have any thoughts on it, Rev? I know I just kind of threw the article at you last minute, but.
1: Well, the article uh, certainly took a, it's a very different tone. Um, the article specifically was much. Uh, death knight qqing about oh we're a hero class and we're supposed to be better than everyone else which isn't really a very compelling argument
0: well let me let me jump in on that because that was actually one of my key points he does say that a lot we're referring to an article written by uh, a gentleman named skeleton jack who's one of the kind of i wouldn't say he's one of the leaders in death knight theory crafting but he he definitely runs a great blog skeletonjack.com is an excellent excellent DK block. The article does talk about us being a hero class, and the thing to remember with the hero class is that they're not a quote-unquote hero class because they're more powerful. They're a hero class because they're a class that is modeled after a hero of the World of Warcraft, uh, of the Warcraft universe. So they're not supposed to be a more powerful class, and people go back to, oh, we're supposed to be OP because we're a hero class, blah, 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 blah. As a Death Knight, I think I'm, I'm very comfortable saying No, that's not realistic at all. We're called a hero class because we're based on a previous hero. That doesn't mean that our class is supposed to be more powerful than any other class in the World of Warcraft universe. We need to have balance with those other classes. Yeah, so I disagree with that whole thing of, you know, it's a hero class and we're supposed to be more powerful. I don't think that's true at all. I think there needs to be balance. I think the danger here is that they're taking anything that's unique out of the individual specs. And I don't approve of that.
1: Yeah, that's kind of disconcerting. I mean, for you, because I know, like you were saying, with my Warlock, um, he's pure DPS, and all three trees uh, offer a very um, significantly different uh, gameplay. And so to, to see that be removed from your class in general, like if you're DPSing, and whatever tree you're in, it's like the same thing between each tree, that kind of it, it kind of sucks. Um, I hope that it doesn't really turn out like that. I hope that that's more like that's what the notes say, or that's what the notes say now, because uh, that kind of removes the fun of differentiating between trees. That's that's the that's what yeah, I see. Yeah, no, there. I
0: I agree. All right, well, I wanted to keep this short, and I guess we have the other thing. I'll say is they are they are moving us down in tanking, and I'm going to be honest, you know, we've played together a lot. You play a Paladin tank, and I play a Death Knight tank. I feel like the Paladin tank is already a better tank than the Death Knight.
1: Yeah, and you're getting nerfed, and I'm getting buffed,
0: kind of. So I'm not excited about that, because, I mean, and maybe this is my own, you know, maybe I am just down on myself, because Skeleton Jack says that Death Knights are totally overpowered. Maybe he's just talking about the high gear level. You you know, you and I operate at the 10-man gear level. We work in next 10 gear. We're getting into our 10 gear. That's our niche, and we don't really like 25s. We don't really want to deal with that many people because we're antisocial. So maybe he's <laughs> just maybe at, at the super high gear levels or at the low gear levels, we are overpowered, and in the middle it kind of evens out. I haven't experienced those portions of the game, so he could be right, but where I'm sitting... And watching you tank, and I've even, you know, I've healed you on my on my alt, and I've healed um, your brother and his warrior tank, and it's a lot easier to keep you up than it is to keep him up on his warrior tank. So, I don't know. I feel like if anyone should be getting buffs, it's warriors, and if anybody should be getting nerfs, it's druids, because they suck at everything. So let the hate <laughs> mail roll in on that one. Um, so I, I'm not a huge fan of, of the tanking thing, and I wish... I wish they would take away more of our base, because right now they're taking away hit points, they're taking away stamina. They're taking away some of our armor in 3.2, so we're going to have less hit points. And less, I'm going to have about a 1,000 less hit points with my same gear, and I'm going to have less armor in 3.2 than I do right now. And in addition to that, they're lengthening the cooldowns on my tanking special abilities. I wish what they would do is remove even more of my base stats and give me even more cooldowns to work with, because that's fun, and that makes the class different from any of the other classes. You know, Let's make them... The the Death Knight has always been kind of micromanagement. So let's make them juggle more talents, and let's make them juggle more cooldowns, but let's make them less powerful without any cooldowns up. So, I don't know, whatever. That's just me, just my little diatribe, but that's what I think.
1: Yeah, it kind of doesn't make any sense, though. I I really haven't, like you, you, I really haven't seen DKs be overpowered. Um, I mean, they're overpowered leveling, but that's kind of... They're balanced
0: against level 80.
1: They meant that, yeah. They meant to make them OP from fifty-five. Yeah, to it was
0: like Blizzard. It was like Blizzard 80, designers you know? said, you know, well, if we give them all these abilities, they're going to kind of tear through the levels, and they'll be a little overpowered. And then other Blizzard designers came back and said, well, we don't really care about that because all we're balancing against right now is endgame. Because who's level seventy-five? You know.
1: Yeah, who's rating
0: right, it for more than a week? <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. right. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I hope that it doesn't affect us as a raid as you're off tank. And, I mean, you need as much health and armor as as I do. So maybe the block changes will help you out. And maybe this is kind of like a... Maybe they're just bringing everything to one level and then they'll tweak it with a final in 3-3 or like 3.2 point something.
0: Yeah, I don't know.
1: We're just going to have to wait and All see, I All I know is you take
0: less damage and generate more threat than me. So, whatever. I'm not bitter. I'm good. <laughs> Alright, so let's move on to patch 3.2, general discussion. And I have a feeling, I have a suspicion, that our general discussion is going to revolve mostly around um, the Argent Crusade, Argent Tournament, Crusaders Coliseum changes that are coming. But hey, what do you want to talk about first?
1: Just in general, I guess uh, they're adding a 5-player Normal and Heroic dungeon. Which is dungeon. Awesome. Yes. A um, Trial of the Crusader, a 10- and 25-player Normal raid dungeon. And then a Trial of the Grand Crusader, which is 10- and 25-heroic mode raid dungeon.
0: Now, do we know if you have to have a certain reputation, if you have to have like the Crusader title in order to get into these?
1: You know, that's a really good question, because reading the kind of uh, lore or explanation that Blizzard has been giving, is that the Crusaders Coliseum is um, the Argent tournament saying, okay, we need someone to battle the Scourge. We need someone to battle uh, Arthas. Right. Arthas. So let's build a Coliseum, Bring in all these monsters and have uh, our tournament members go fight these monsters. So I don't, th- I don't, I don't I haven't read it anywhere. Not saying it, it's not there, but I haven't read it anywhere that you have to have uh, some kind of reputation level. But I think it's certainly possible. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, first of all, it, it, it'll be something that uh, that they'd be bringing back from vanilla wow where you need to get in or from burning crusade as well
0: for heroics
1: you needed a certain reputation level yeah and but i mean it's it's the tournaments and not that hard
0: no and i was thinking that you know if anything it would be linked to the dailies where maybe it's not necessarily the reputation per se like you're you're honored or exalted or whatever but maybe it's you have to be a champion or something like that you
1: know yeah and so the last thing is uh, a new forty versus forty siege style battleground. And you know me; I don't care about PvP. No, but I will say that um, jumping into the large scale fights is certainly it certainly has its draw for for
0: myself. Well, is it like is it like the Flame Leviathan, where you're just driving around blowing stuff up?
1: No, um, it's there are vehicles, and you are also. There's people on the ground. And it's like uh, you're assaulting... Um, well, in in, in uh, Wintergrasp, you're assaulting the castle. And there's like maybe five or six vehicles, and then the rest is all just people on the ground.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I want to talk about the five-man. It's normal. It's heroic. There's a daily quest added to the heroic daily dungeon.
1: Maybe I don't want to talk about that, because it's interesting, but... I think the only interesting thing, well, a new five mana is cool because it's new content. Yes. But tell me, what badge does it drop? I believe it drops not the Crusaders emblem of the... Is that right? Mm,
0: It is. There's... Emblem of heroism, which is the lowest that currently drops from all heroics. Right. Emblem of valor currently drops from 25 men, Naxxramas, 25 men, OS, and 25 men, Archivon himself,
1: and Alduar 10 men.
0: And Alduar 10 men. Emblem of conquest currently drops from
1: Alduar 25,
0: 25. Yeah, Alduar 25 and 20 uh, 25 em- men, Emolon, right? Because yes. ten man Amelon drops emblem of Valor. Wow, this
1: is right. confusing. <laughs> well, all that's going away, and they're all going to drop emblem of
0: Conquest, right? Right. Totally stole your thunder right there. <laughs> I've got your thunder. Well,
1: no, I'm I'm verifying as 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 we talk. Because Are you? I'm trying to remember if the Conquest, the twenty five man Alduar, if that one is going away. I know. The first two tiers of emblems are going away. Well,
0: that's not entirely accurate. The first two tiers of emblems will not drop anymore. Well, yes. that. But I would imagine you can still, because right can now, still trade down. Right, you can down trade from, if you have an emblem of conquest, you can turn it into an emblem of valor, which you can then turn into an emblem of heroism if you want to. Um, and I've actually done that. But here it is, the emblem system changes. Yeah, so so it seems like everything is going to be Emblems of Conquest, and then...
1: There's a new one.
0: We are going to run every heroic every day. <laughs> Basically. And there's the Emblem of Triumph? Is that what it is?
1: I, I think so.
0: Oh, there's some new Emblem. Emblem of Triumph. Yes, that's yes. correct. No, that can't be correct.
1: Yes. The... 10 and 25 player instances of Crusader Colosseum drop a new Emblem of Triumph.
0: Gotcha. So that's, that's the tier, tier... tier 9. Yes. Tier 9. And the Emblem of Conquest is going to be, we'll call it tier 8. But this says the Heroic Dungeon Daily Quest will now reward two Emblems of Triumph, and the normal Daily Dungeon Quest will reward
1: one Emblem of Triumph. Is that just the Daily Quest or... Yes, or is it, just it looks a like new dungeon daily quest?
0: It looks like those are daily dungeon
1: daily quests, like the ones the you get all or, or the new five man.
0: I think it's heroic halls of stone. So if you do a heroic, you will get an emblem of conquest from each boss, and you will get two emblems of triumph if that heroic is the daily. Wow! So let's do every heroic daily at least. Yes. Those are very interesting changes. And what do you think Blizzard is doing with that?
1: Well, I think that... I think they're not completely backtracking, but kind of a little bit backtracking. I mean, they made Alduar hard. Which is great. Which is good. I think is very good. Because Nax is just... We are just, fans. Yes. We are fans of the harder. Um, and they realize, okay, we have 3.2, which has a new dungeon, which is going to be hard, I assume. It's going to have hard modes as well. You're only allowed to try four times during your raid ID per week, and then they're thinking, all right, after that we have Ice Crown, so we have to get, if we want players to experience all the way to uh, Ice Crown, we need to get them geared up, get through Alduar, get through the new ten and twenty-five man, so that they can be geared for uh, Ice Crown. So I see this as kind of a okay, we, found, we figured out a new way to make you work for uh, epics. Right. And so this is kind of the, not Alduar nerf really, but it's more like, all right, we sped the train up. Gotcha. So it's, you know, here's a way of jumping ahead. You
0: can, you can essentially jump Nax with this stuff. Yes. Because if, you're, if you think about it, with the Emblems of Valor, you can buy Tier 7.5. Yes. With the Emblems of Conquest, you can buy Tier 8.5. And the pieces that you can buy from those two different sets, they kind of mat- it's not like you can buy shoulders in one set and shoulders in the other set. It's like shoulders in this set and gloves in this set, and then a helm and pants in this set. So you can really hobble together a full set of Tier 7.5 plus gear, which should be more than enough to get you into the 10-man version of The Crusader's Colosseum, for instance, right? Yes. And you can do that just by running heroics every day for a couple weeks.
1: Well, if we do the math, what is it, 60 and 80? Do we have to do the math? Well, just quick math.
0: Yeah, 60 and 80 for the major pieces. 60 for the gloves, 80 for the chest.
1: And And how many? 60,
0: 60 for the shoulders and like 80 for the pants.
1: So, 60, 80, 60, 80. We'll just say 60. That's 340 emblems, and if you're doing the daily every day, I mean, how many, what is it, five emblems per dungeon?
0: If you do five five dungeons per day, and you assume that each dungeon drops five, it's about 13 days. All right. But that's pretty hardcore.
1: Yeah, that's really hardcore.
0: That's five, five heroics a day, like our group could knock that out in two hours? Like two to three. But that would be with our A-team, which is next to 10 old war 10-geared.
1: Yeah. Right. right, let's do it. So it's the fast train.
0: It's the faster train. And I think that the, the thing that I want to underscore here is not necessarily that it's the fast train, but that it is the non-raiding train. Yes. They've given you a, a manner in which you can become raid-ready without setting foot in a 10-man group. I don't know if that's good or not. <laughs> 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 because I rely heavily on wowheroes.com, which is a website that pulls the WOW Armory website. So it pulls a list of a certain person's gear, and it shows you in a very easy-to-read format where that gear dropped from, and it lets me see as a raid leader when I'm going to... I'm going to invite someone in who I don't know, it shows me what instances they've been to without having to look up their achievements, without doing anything like that. I can see if someone has a 213 item off Maxina, I know that they've been to 25 men, Maxramus, and I know that they've at least downed Maxina. Well,
1: either way, I, I feel that it's a good thing. Well, it's a good thing if we want to progress faster.
0: Yeah, I think the good definitely outweighs the bad here.
1: I think there's a there's there's a good majority of hardcore players that I mean are kind of they're they're already miffed with Blizzard with Wrath of the Lich King for the easy MOAD they've been dealing with. And now they're more miffed, but I mean I don't know. We're we're kind of a casual rating guild and I think casual rating is a much more uh proliferated kind of
0: It's a wider market segment. Yes. And it makes sense to sell your product to
1: more people. Yeah. I, I don't know, more more people have fun. Because in Vanilla WoW, in 1.x WoW, right. there was a lot of not funniness.
0: Oh, AQ forty
1: was horrible. Yeah. And then in Outland, when you hit 80, it was like a brick wall. Unless you had an A-team of people to do Heroics, you so know, you could get into a raid. You were doing
0: regular dungeons for a month and a half before you even dared set foot in a Heroic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to say that I heard this on, I think, the WoW Insider podcast, somebody was talking about the fact that people who complain about things not being difficult aren't really complaining about that. They're complaining about the fact that other people can do it. Yes. Because if they can do it get and it. nobody else can do it, they get massive cred. And then all of a sudden, other people have the ability to do it and their cred, they feel that their cred has diminished. And I don't think that's the case. It's not like there's a limited amount of cred. And if I come and take a little bit of cred <laughs> from the cred pool, like everybody else gets less cred. I think if you do a hard encounter with a group of people who have dedicated a lot of time to researching it and studying it and preparing themselves for it, you get, you get cred for that. That's awesome. So that's my piece.
1: Um, next, I, I I would have to agree with your assessment.
0: Uh, well, that's because I'm right. <laughs> next, I want to talk about the the other big change that we see to the 10 and 25 man dungeons in this, and you know what it is. But you're not going to say it <laughs> because you want to make me seem dumb on the podcast. It's not going to work, buddy. I will edit this out.
1: You are dumb. <laughs> um. Four tries per raid ID.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. Who? What? What?
1: Yeah, it kind of makes sense with the lore in that it's like a uh, colosseum, and you can't just try all day. You get four tries, but
0: but what does that that mean? Does that mean four deaths?
1: Yeah. Wow. It's kind of like daunting.
0: That's brutal. Well, you know what it reminds me of is Vanilla WoW, and I'm going to tie it back in here. Back in Vanilla WoW, big deal was getting back into dungeons before respawns, because trash in Vanilla WoW was freaking ridiculous. You had to have your raid group fully buffed, you had to have your tanks ready to go, and if trash started respawning, and it took a couple hours, but if it started respawning, you were going to call it a night, essentially, because nobody wanted to get through trash and then get to the progression boss and die some more, you know?
1: Kind of an interesting development. Um, I'm excited for it because it'll force us to uh, have an A game on every try. I think, honestly, sometimes people, they just roll into uh, a raid and just, you know, they flounder around. But uh, this will be a little bit more crazier because we won't have any trash. It's just like, okay, we're walking in, we're doing the four or five bosses, and we have to be perfect... All the way through, and we will get some epics. So let's do this.
0: But you've got to save up your failure because if you fail three times on the first boss, yeah, and then you get to the last boss, you're like, "Oh man, come
1: on!" Exactly. So I'm excited because it it means it means uh, for tier nine we're not schlepping for four or five hours. You know, so it's kind of interesting. It forces us to excel.
0: Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it back to a classic video game where I cut my teeth and that game was EverQuest. And EverQuest was extremely compelling. I read an article recently that said that you felt, players of EverQuest felt much more like they were in the trenches with other players of EverQuest because the punishment for failure was a lot higher. You lost experience and experience was hard to come by, especially at later levels. So you would lose, you know, a quarter of a level of experience just for dying and you could go back to the previous level if you died too much, and it would prolong how long it took you to ding. So if you were in a group and one person died, that person was pissed, you know? yeah. The whole thing about a game being exciting, the thing that makes it not necessarily fun, because it can be fun without being really exciting, is the amount of risk that you expose your players to. The risk in EverQuest was that you would lose experience, that you could ding back a level, that you, you know, that kind of thing, that was your risk. The risk in Ultima Online was that somebody could loot your body and steal all your gear from you. <laughs> <laughs> that was if you didn't I steal all your stuff. If you didn't make it back in 3 minutes, you know, you'd lose like two items or whatever it was. Now they're introducing a little bit more risk and you're you're absolutely right. It's like you come into a you come into a raid and you're like, "Okay, well, let's take a shot and if we die, you know, whatever, we died, we get a repair bill and there are enough dailies that I've got enough gold to never worry about repair bills. That is not a risk. That's just Something that I, as the raid leader, have to berate people for when they die twice. And then they're like, oh, my helm's red. And I'm like, why didn't you repair before the raid? Anyway. <laughs> the risk, so they're, they're introducing risk in this, which I think is really cool. For Tier nine. the risk is going to be, if you're not good enough, you are going to lose your opportunity to try for it this week. Period. Yeah. So I think that's awesome.
1: So, yeah, it's exciting. I think I can't wait for it to show up, to be honest. Yeah, well, we need
0: to we need to get into Old War more, really. Yeah. All right. Well, and then the last thing that we need to talk about uh, in three point two, from a from a Crusader kind of new dungeon standpoint, is the normal mode and heroic mode changes. And it used to be that the ten man was called normal mode, and the twenty five man was called heroic mode. That's the way Naxxramas is. That is, in fact, the way Old War is. Uh, Voltavarkovan obsidian sanctum they're all that way and there's been a big change to that coming in 3.2 hopefully it'll go live and that's what we're that's what i'm looking forward to but a couple months back you may remember and we should put this in the show notes there was an article in wow insider talking about how 10 man raiders were upset that 25 man raiders got better gear than they did when nax for 25 people was easier to execute in most fights than nax for 10 people Yes. And in fact, I still think the hardest, one of the hardest encounters in the game is OS 10 with three drakes up. One of the hardest, most skill requiring, gear requiring uh, encounters in the entire game is one of the instances that it shipped with in one of its hard modes. And as we know, that was Blizzard experimenting with a method that they have brought back in a big way in Old War. Hopefully we'll see it in Crusader's Coliseum as well. But The changes that they've made now, and it looks like either Blizzard agreed with that article or they had been thinking along these lines for a long time. I kind of suspect the latter because I don't think Blizzard is, not that they're not quick to move, but I don't think they ever do anything rashly. And if they saw an article on Wild Insider two months ago and then implemented this in 3.2, I think that would be rash. So I think they probably identified this problem a while ago. You can do Trial of the Crusader in 10 or 25 man versions, and that is the normal mode of the dungeon. And then you can do Trial of the Grand Crusader in 10 or 25-man versions. And that is the heroic mode. And how does the loot breakdown for these work?
1: Because I don't remember. It, it's uh, actually pretty simple. So if you think of the 10 and the 25-man uh, versions, we have four four total versions. Right. 10, iterations. And, tw- ten
0: and 25 men normal and 10 and 25-man heroic.
1: Yes. So if you set them side by side, so you have 10 on the left-hand side, and 25 on the right-hand side, you would have uh, four lines in that the first line has one tier of gear, and that's 10-man normal. Then you have the next line, which is 10-man hard and 25 normal, and then the last line is 25 hard. Okay. So you can get you could go 10-man normal and get the lowest of that main tier of gears items and then if you do 10 man hard you're getting the 25 man normal
0: the 25 man lowest tier yes right
1: and then there's an even there's a there's a hard mode for 25 and I think that's completely fair I don't because I feel that 25 man encounters should scale you know that it should scale the bosses and therefore the members should have better gear because Even if you have 25 people, that's, uh, over twice as many people as the 10 man. However, the bosses are scaled up to, uh, 25 people. And therefore when they're targeting like one person or when somebody's trying to hit that one boss that is scaled up high, they need to have that extra oomph, you know? So,
0: right. And well, I will say that the only problem with that is that, um, there's one limitation, and as a tank, that limitation jumps right out at me, and it's that even in 25-man gear, you cannot make a boss hit for 250% more than that same boss hits for in 10-man, because it would just kill the tank instantly. So there is yeah. scaling, but there there isn't as much scaling, and there cannot be as much scaling because of the gear disparity.
1: Yes, that that's true. But it is there is something to say for uh, organizing and maintaining 25 people.
0: Right. No, there's so that factor as well. That's true. And, yeah, like I said earlier, I don't know 25 people, and I certainly wouldn't like to hang out with 25 people. So that's, that's why <laughs> I do 10 men. So what do you get out of heroic
1: modes then? Better gear.
0: Worth it, I think.
1: Yeah. All right. As long as you can cut it. I mean, obviously the first time we go in – It'll be normal, but as, soon as we it. are comfortable with it, we will go heroic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've been saying that about old war hard modes, and we still haven't
1: done that. But well, uh, well we need to get into old war. Yeah, we need to really get in there. All right. We need to have people stop quitting. Liners.
0: Uh, okay. Well, I think it's interesting. Are there any other changes coming in three point two that, that you want to talk about besides the fact that you're getting a huge buff?
1: It's not a huge. No buff. matter what
0: spec you play. <laughs>
1: Uh, no, I don't, I, the, the paladin changes are interesting, but I think that it's kind of a, um, they had to nervous a little bit so that they could buff dodge. I don't know what they're doing with dodge. No one knows what they're really doing with dodge. Cause they're going to be, this is like the first step in the full changes of dodge. Right. But, um, I think the only other thing of major note is that they're making it much easier to level a character zero to 80 and that. You get your mounts faster, or you get your mounts sooner. You get your flying mount sooner and faster. Um, you There are, are stacking emblems, or uh, stacking heirlooms. So you had your shoulder pieces before that gave you 10% extra experience for monsters. Now you have your chest piece that gives you 10% as well, so you're getting 20% extra experience for monsters. You're getting to places faster. You have your uh, health and mana, or... Uh, energy trinkets, so I, I, that's exciting, just in that I know that some people uh, are not happy with their class, and they want to reroll. Well, this makes it way easier. You don't to... have
0: to do Recruit a Friend.
1: Exactly. You don't have to go waste money <laughs> and uh, cheat the system to uh, roll a new character, which, uh, I mean, that still is the fastest way, I would say. Definitely. But, um this is the cheapest way i don't know
0: yeah if you ha- i mean if you have an 80 it makes sense that you should have the ability to do that faster it's you're not sacrificing any of the game experience you're not bypassing their content it's safe to assume that you've seen that content so yeah i think it's i think they're all good changes and i definitely approve of all the changes in the-, the ease that they've Made leveling. uh It's still not easy. Uh, you know me. I have my entire screen has all alts. It's still, <laughs> it's still not. An alt master. Yeah, and it's still not necessarily easy to get to level eighty. It is still hard. And some people will be like, "Oh, whatever. I get. I rolled a level eighty in two weeks. Whoa!" But you know, I have a kid, and uh, I just can't play as much you've as done, I should. You've, you've gotten two
1: to <laughs> eighty. It's not I, like you. I have. Although and one have- of them was a
0: Death Knight, okay. so that doesn't count, really. Yeah. Don't tell anyone. Shh. Shh. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's pretty much uh, that's pretty much it for the WoW talk. Um, I can't think of any other changes that I really want to talk about. I'm just excited about that overall change. 25-player 25, uh, 25 raids will no longer be referred to as heroic versions of a raid as there is a new distinction between normal and heroic modes for both 10 and 25 players of the Crusaders Coliseum, I want to print that up on a thousand sheets of paper and just roll around in
1: it. (laughs) It is exciting. It's kind of validity, almost. Yeah, it's like they were
0: like, you know what, you're right. 10-man raiders, you aren't just lame.
1: You could consider yourself awesome, too.
0: Don't believe what all the 25-man raiders have been saying all this time. (laughs) I feel good. I feel like they let me out of the closet. Not not the not the gay closet, the other closet. Not that closet. The 10-man raider closet. Uh, anyway, do you have any closing thoughts for this episode of Borked? Because that's pretty much all I got.
1: You know, I think that's it.
0: You don't have, because I, when I say that, I always think of the Jerry Springer show, which has that closing thoughts section. Don't know. Don't, <laughs> don't ask how I know. I'm just saying, look, I'm going to go out there. If you're ever unemployed for any period of time, even if it's like right after high school, you're going to watch an episode of Jerry Springer. True story. And one episode is more than enough. So no closing thoughts.
1: No. I think we kind of covered everything.
0: Everything that matters this week in Geek. So if, if you miss something that you think matters, either you're wrong or you just need to rewind and listen again because it's in there. Yep, basically. Cool. Well, you can find the writings of David Eagle and of Rev. On greyhats.com That's www.greyhats.com You can find David Eagle on Twitter At www.twitter.com Forward slash cdeagle And you can find Rev on Twitter At www.twitter.com Forward slash revoked Look for the show notes on greyhats.com Where all of the links that we would mentioned Should appear around the same time This podcast does Until next week, stay nerdy What's the name of Alaska? What's the state name? It's like it's called Alaska. No. <laughs> Shut up.
1: <laughs>
0: That's alright. Alright. That's respectable. Okay, so we're gonna kick we're gonna get this party started. The final frontier. That's Star Trek. No, this is the last frontier, it's different. Male radio. That's what Maya said to you. That's what I listen to. All yeah. male radio all the time. Yeah, well, I think it really is just yeah, it's it's the the size of the population really.
1: In my day, celebrities died in threes. <laughs>